Welcome to some Alberine podcast. You're about to listen to a few moments with Tim Curtis, who we had a chat with over in part A and B. So if you haven't listened to Tim's story, please do so at some stage because it's a ripper. If you have, we hope you enjoy a little bit of fun at the end, hear about what Tim thinks about certain things in life, and wait to the end with the story of Tim jumping out of a plane and what happened to him with a parachute. It is phenomenal. Okay, enjoy. So we're going to start. Just wrap this up, mate. We we're going to have, ask you a couple of questions. I've actually got some printed out for the boys to uh, to read. Finally, there's some claps in the room. Um, you can an, you can ask three or four of them yourself. Okay, and we'll just yeah. Well, good well, question, Darren. Good question. Well, Here we go. That sounds boring. Well, are you going to go the descendants, go. ascendants one? Yeah, go that one first. No, you. Oh, uh, I can you just, just ask yeah. the good ones. Do that one first. I'd like to know Tim's answer. Okay, so would Tim, would you prefer to connect with your descendants like two, three, four, five generations ago or into the future? Into, your, the, into the future. Into the future. Only because what fascinates me at the moment is building resilient kids. I'm hoping I'm doing a little bit of that job and I'd like to see in the innate layer what gets passed down through genetics. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to meet my great, 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 great grandkids. Okay, so it was passed down from dad to you and you want to see it for, yeah, four or five times. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, mate. Um, what was the first job you had for money? Uh, newspaper round. In fact, it wasn't newspaper. It was leaflets, pamphlets, advertising material in letter boxes. That's a pretty miserable experience for 12 bucks couple of thousand leaflets. On your BMX? I'm a BNX, BMX with a <laughs> cardboard box strapped to the back. Nice. No fun at all. Um, if you could swap jobs with anyone, who and what would it be? That's easy. I'd just swap with my business partner, Ben Pronk, and do exactly what I'm doing yeah, now. Nice. I, I do, I do That's f- one of the Pronks, mate. That's obvious. <laughs> I, do, I do feel like... At me. least his nickname would be... Pro- oh, sorry, his surname would be Pronk then, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> or we'd call him Pronky anyway. No, I, I, it's it's interesting when you think about this. Like, who would I swap lives with? Um, no one. I, I'm I'm sort of comfortable in my own skin. I've yeah. not got everything How nailed good. out. Um, but yeah, just having a lot of fun now and and enjoying enjoying all aspects of life. Over the time, you would have met some pretty important people. You've already mentioned, you know, Cosgrove, those sort of guys. If you could had the chance to meet one person that you haven't met in your life. What? Who would that be? And what question would you ask? Alive or dead, Gaz? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Winston Churchill. And what question would you ask him? I'd love to be at a dinner party with Winston Churchill. I wouldn't like to just ask him one question. I think I'd get incredibly frustrated because the good stuff had come out at about 3am at the bottom of a bottle of whiskey, I'd imagine. Okay. Um, But just his life, you know, incredible. He's a guy who had an opportunity. He wasn't expected to be leading, certainly not a wartime leader. He wasn't highly regarded politically, but arguably one of the best wartime politicians we've ever seen. Yep. Couldn't make the trains run on time, but for that period in British history, incredible in galvanising a nation and being courageous about it. Um, you know, when everyone was saying, get out of London, um, you know, during the Blitz and the bombings, I'm not leaving London. He was walking through the the wreckage of the night before. So I, I love that. I love his courage and not surprisingly, his ability to wordsmith and speak. I mean, spoken words just incredible yep. Winston Churchill Good. 
Um, if you had, this is a funny one, if you had a Willy Wonka style golden ticket for success, <laughs> meaning you're guaranteed to have it, success that may, um, what's the one thing that you would create? Well, we know that thing doesn't exist. Success is all about hard work. But okay, I'll, I'll go with a question. I'd want something for my kids. Um, I'd like to use the word happiness, but happiness is actually all about the struggle. So I'd want them to embrace some form of difficulty, some form of challenge to understand the happiness from coming through that struggle, the importance of the struggle. When your daughter said, oh, Dad, you won't be here, how have how did you go reacclimatizing with your family, your children, and your wife? Because you'd been a long time away. Did it take a while? And were you, in inverted commas, unwelcome when you came back? Good question for all of them. Look, I don't think in my pea brain I realised how challenging it had been back running a house with only one parent and three kids, three young kids, because you're just absorbed in your own life. And you'd come back and cameo in and off you'd go again. So, yeah, it took time, Gary, and, and arguably still a work in progress. And there's plenty of good reasons where, you know, my lovely partner had great reason to close the door and change the locks on me. And the kids probably you know, could have taken a negative view of, of how I had been parenting. Um, but on the work in progress, I, I do feel like I've got an exceptional relationship with my partner and my kids. They've all grown up to be incredible young humans. Very different, but I cherish every moment that I do get with them, and I'm, I'm not being cliched when I say that. I, I really do. The most precious moments in my life, I've said this in the past, is cooking a meal with my daughter with some music on you know, and singing as we're cooking along. And I hate cooking. Um, and my wife and I are about to go and run a marathon together and she's doing it because I'm doing it and I kind of want to do it because she's doing it. So I don't think it's the sort of thing you can just click the gear stick into neutral and coast along on. All relationships need work and um, I'm the first to admit that my work came from a long way behind, so I've had to had to go hard and heavy on that. Good answer. Thank you for that. Mate, just on that marathon, the last thing, just leading into um, all, a lot of things you've challenged yourself have been difficult. Clearly a marathon is, um, but there is a little bit of a twist to this marathon, which we spoke <laughs> about today. That's so true. I'd like the listeners to hear that you do also do things that, uh, yes, it's a marathon and it's going to be difficult, but this one's got a pretty fun twist. Can you just give us... Um, an explanation of what the marathon is. Don't tell me it's nude. Yeah, I might end up nude. No. <laughs> it might end up nude. Yeah, when you right. hear what he's doing, running backwards. it may end up this way. So yeah, well, let's finish on that one. Well, though. first things first, I hate running. And so that's why I'm running a marathon because I don't like running. I'm physically capable of running, but I've just never really liked it. And so doing something that makes me feel uncomfortable is an important part of the, of the process. But the marathon, I thought, if I'm going to do a marathon, I want to do something that's reasonably iconic, a little bit different. And my business partner, Ben, he just ran a sub-three-hour marathon, an incredible physical feat in his late 40s. Um, and he said, oh, let's go and do Boston or Helsinki or Japan, Tokyo. 
I'm like, I don't really want to do any of those. And then I discovered the Marathon de Medoc. Now, Marathon de Medoc is a marathon, legit, 42.4 Ks, run through the vineyards of Bordeaux. And along the route, there are 22 wine stops, cheese stops, seafood and meat stops and bands. Theoretically, it's compulsory to be uh, fancy dressed, so you you could probably go a variation of nude gas. Um, but it's, yeah, it's sort of an iconic location, and you can run it seriously. The winners will do it in two hours 20, so it's not a doddle, and you can't walk it. Um, but it's the sort of marathon that you can train up and have a great time on the run. So I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i train to, to around about 3 hour 30 pace, but I won't run 3 hour 30 because it defeat the... Defeat so you've got four hours or three and a half hours of fun in between because you've got seven hours to do it? Yeah, like, that's it right. It won't take yeah. you that long, but is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think the cutoff is seven and a half hours, so there's plenty of time in there. Yep. Um, how, many, yeah. how many stops did you say there was? I think it's 22. Tw- 22. I want to see Pronky stop at 22, have a glass <laughs> of red at each one well, in the Bordeaux region and get there sub three hours. Well, he's not running it. He wants to run two weeks later a marathon in Austria and said, why don't you come across and do the, the marathon in Austria? But there's no wine, cheese or seafood <laughs> stops, so I'm, I'm probably not in. But uh, actually, the only thing I might be able to compete with him on, because he's been doing some exceptional running, is the beer mile. Run a 400-metre lap, Scala can, repeat times four. That's probably the only one I might beat him in. Solid. I'm not going to beat him in the running bit, but I might beat him in the sculling part. <laughs> might if get you, him on the last lap. Yeah, there's world championships in this beer mile. It's crazy. If you want a, a good look. Google beer mile and watch the world champions do the beer mile. It's mind-blowing. Believe it or not, the sculling the beer is the important bit, not the running. We'll look that up. It sounds fun. <laughs> it's four, a, four it's, doesn't sound like fun. I don't think Wembley Vets Footy Club is going <laughs> to embrace the mile, maybe just the beer. <laughs> what do you think of war? Mm. Great novelist Cormac McCarthy, to paraphrase him, it was around long before us, Paney, and it'll be around long after. And maybe a, a second quote, Clausewitzian, Karl von Clausewitz said, uh, war is politics by the means, and for as long as we have politics, we're going to have war. Look, wouldn't it be amazing if this planet didn't have conflict from low intensity all the way to high intensity, but the reality is it does, and and. There, strategically, if you were to look with the long telescope into the future, it's difficult to see how we won't have continued conflict, either over land or political divide or food and water. It's going to be around, so better to be prepared for it and it not to happen yep. than be unprepared. Yeah, good answer. It's similar with um, drugs and kids at the end of the day. The kids are going to be around it, aren't they, at some point? So you have to sort of handle it as it as the reality is a reality. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for militaries the world over, not just ours, you stand ready to do your government's bidding. That's the definition of service. When you sign the contract to be part of any military, you agree that whether you like the cause or not, whether you like the geography, the tyranny... When they say it's time to go, you go. 
and you do your nation's bidding. And yep. so that, that um, you know, stand fast whether you agree politically or not with anything that militaries have been involved in. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty in our military and others that haven't agreed with the constituent parts of any conflict and how it's originated and where it was going. But at the end of the day, that's what you do. Yep. Wanted to ask you how close you've come to death. And I know that we could go on and on and on about that. So I think that might be in our, um, in our second time if we catch up again. But what I would like you to tell us is the story of you in the parachute. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's probably three occasions in my military career when I'd nearly resigned myself to dying. One was climbing Heard Island, a volcanic a volcano in the sub-Antarctic where um, I was accepting that on this particular day I was going to pass away. But, yeah, the um, the parachuting story was down in a place called Nowra in New South Wales where we were doing some jumping. In fact, it was on a, a, a course and we were trying to get in daylight jumps but it was creeping into dusk and uh, we were dispatched quite close together. The guy in front of me, there wasn't enough space between me and him in retrospect and uh, these particular parachutes, even though you dispatched at quite high altitude, they um, they move really quickly. Uh, the opening sequence isn't necessarily guaranteed and he had a problem. So as his parachute opened, he had twists, he was kicking out of the twists and he kicked out of them and my opening sequence happened. I was getting control of my canopy and all of a sudden he was coming straight back at me. Uh, his canopy hit mine about halfway up the risers where um, my harness is connected to the canopy and he sort of spun around and if you can imagine he mummified me and he was hanging just off my feet and now my canopy was supporting the weight of both of us. And you were completely tangled all of, with your arms in there as My arms, arms were pinned down by my side, yeah. yeah, it was that much pressure coming <laughs> through his canopy on, onto me. How, um, how high were you? I can't remember how high we were dispatched. I think it was reasonably high, so maybe it was eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet. Luckily. You, luckily, yeah, very luckily. And you wear a little um, device in your ear that tells you if you've gone through 3,000 feet. Now, the problem with Nowra, the drop zone there is quite narrow. Um, and on either side of the drop zone, there's uh, trees, I, th- I think from memory, state forest. And uh, these canopies, as I mentioned before, they fly quick. So on a day without wind, they might be doing th- uh, 40 kilometres an hour. And if you've got a wind and you're, you're not steering into the wind, it's far faster. And so the conversation quickly turned to, well, what are we going to do about this? To each other. To each other. So you're, yeah. you're wrapped up in yep. his canopy and you're looking down at him, he's looking up and you're having a conversation as you're falling. Well, I couldn't see him because naturally I was all wrapped up, including yep. uh, including the fact that I couldn't see and naturally wasn't controlling my canopy and we were we were at um, the hand of fate. It, yep. The canopy was going wherever Mother Nature <laughs> said it was going. And so, yeah, the conversation quite hurriedly turned to, well, what do we do? Not doing anything would have probably meant we ploughed at high speed into trees or power line and that wouldn't have been a great result for <laughs> yeah. either of us um so as it transpired he it was a combat equipment jump so we had uh we we're wearing all of our tactical gear and carrying our packs on on our front he cut away his his backpack and then cut away his main chute 
Um, you have a reserve shoot, so cutting away your main shoot's not the end of the world or end of your life. In fact, there's a beautiful parachuting saying that when it comes to malfunctions, you've got the rest of your life to work it out. <laughs> Certain truism in that. Um, but as he released his main shoot, it took the pressure off uh, me. Uh, he deployed his reserve and landed safely. And then um, on the front of my vest, I had a little hook knife. So he left you knife. all tangled up? Left me all tangled up. There's not much you could do about yeah, that. Yeah, I get that, but um, wow. And yeah, I frantically cut his shoot off. And in retrospect, I wasn't paying too much attention on what I was cutting. I just wanted to get it off yeah. so I could work out where I was relative to uh, a location where and I And you still hadn't had that... Um, still hadn't gone off. The 3,000 no. thing in your ear. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And as the uh, I cut the canopy and, the, and the, um, the lines off me, and I could see finally again the story from those people standing on the drop zone, it was, it was like something like Priscilla Queen of the Desert with the this grey canopy trailing behind my canopy. <laughs> like out of the bus. Yeah, exactly. In the movie. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, I, yeah, I realised that I was a long way away from the drop zone. Even though the whole incident hadn't taken long to resolve, the canopies moved reasonably quickly. And so I needed to try and find my way back to the DZ. So I just drove as hard as I could that canopy back to a location where I could land safely. Um, and there were all sorts of people as medics and things racing out to make sure that everyone was okay. Uh, and I just cleared the trees. I was full of adrenaline. I flared my parachute way too early, which meant I just sputtered into the ground, um, tried to do a parachute roll. That didn't go well. And, and both of my quads, I thought I'd, I'd broken both femurs. I hit with that sort of impact. And that happened the day before to someone else, didn't it? The day, the night before, a guy in a night jump, had run into a tree, yeah. Um, winds at ground level are different to winds at um, you know, differing, uh, differing levels that you get dispatched in. And on this particular night, there was a wind shear. And so the winds at drop zone were acceptable, but the winds at altitude were higher. And those winds just picked him up and, and he, couldn't, he couldn't get his chute um, mm. driving fast. So you had that in your head. Had that in, yeah, and he, he had done, I think he'd broken a femur um, on that jump the night before. So, yeah, sputtered in. Um, fortunately, fortunately, my worst nightmare of not living <laughs> wasn't true and uh, one of my great mates actually was the first to run over Matt uh, and it wasn't, oh, mate, how are you going? Are you feeling okay? He said... Oh, that was fucking excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Just a different mindset, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. My There's God. no sympathy at all. Yeah. Because I'm holding both femurs <laughs> thinking, I think I've broken both legs. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here to tell the story. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Psst. Just before you go, if you listen to today's episode on Spotify, just touch that little bell at the top. If you listen to it on Apple, do the same with a little tick. That way you subscribe to our show and it'll automatically download so you never miss an episode every fortnight when it's released. Since you're there, you may as well also follow us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, whatever is your preference. And tell your friends and family about the show. And don't forget to create some elbow room for yourself to do more of the things that you love. Good on your legends. <laughs>